Welcome to Transition of Style, the podcast that explores the ways in which personal style and gender identity meet with host Phil, a.k.a. Curran. Transition of Style is produced by Fashion Consort with music provided by Sarah FM and is sponsored by QueerCut, a radically inclusive shopping platform and queer community. Welcome back to TOS Check-In. I'm your host, Phil, a.k.a. Corinne. If you haven't heard, TOS Check-In is our alternative format we're doing to check in with our friends and members of the community during the coronavirus pandemic. So today I have my good friend, Abby Miller. Abby. Hey. Hello, my friend. How are you? Uh, doing well. How are you? I'm, I'm well, thank you. I'm well. Would you mind telling the TOS audience a little bit about you? Although you've been on the podcast before, I want you to reintroduce yourself. Yeah, totally. Uh, so I live here in New York, uh, grew up in West Virginia and have lived quite a few places in between. And I guess what I spend my days doing uh, now, I work for the federal government. I work for the Department of Housing and Urban Development. Um, I do homeless policy programs, basically like anything it takes to end homelessness um, at a federal level. And I've been doing that for a long time. And I also uh, do quite a bit of design, like clothing design, shoe design, figured out how to make some shoes, Um, you know, just kind of like learning as I go through life, I think. Yeah, you do. Jackie (laughs) of all trades you are. (laughs) You're amazing. You're amazing. All right. So let me uh, ask you my first question here. What are you doing to stay sane during the pandemic? You are working from home, is that correct? I am working from home. So uh, I'm working pretty long days. Um, I'd say between 11 and 14, 15 hours, because as you can imagine, uh, coronavirus pandemic has uh, some really terrible effects on people experiencing homelessness. So we are uh, trying to do a lot to respond to that. Um, But outside of work, I am trying to stick with some pieces of my routine that feel really important, like getting out to run. Um, I am so fortunate uh, in this tiny island of Manhattan to live uh, just a block away from the Hudson River. So I can go down there and run, keep my social distance. Um, That has been super helpful. And just, you know, trying to get some little snippets, like 10 minutes in the morning with a cup of coffee where I'm not thinking about anything else. That kind of stuff. Yeah, that's good. You you have to make sure you're taking care of yourself right now, especially. Uh, so with the pandemic and with, you know, homelessness, what are you seeing as, um, what, what are you seeing in terms of your job and how has it changed during this pandemic? Oh, man. Uh, it has changed a lot. I mean, I feel like, you know, our office is always uh, cranking on, like, any, like I said, anything that we can do that is furthering our goal of ending homelessness, we're doing. Um, but with this pandemic, it, it's all of a sudden crystal clear that if we are not working around the clock and helping all of the communities that are already invested in like working with people who live on the street or people who live in shelters, if we are not all collectively doing everything we can do, people are going to die and it's already been happening. And it is, um, it's heartbreaking. Uh, It's unconscionable that we have homelessness in the first place in this country. But I think, you know, a lot of folks efforts with the shelter in place, homeless people can't shelter in place. Um, 
they, they literally have nowhere to go um, other than wherever they are, whether that's outside or, or in a shelter. So, um, you know, you got to get creative and figure out other ideas. So that's what we're doing. Yeah, great. I can only imagine. And that, that obviously really is contributing to why you're working 14 hour days, I would imagine. Oh, yeah. Uh, just like, I mean, literally cranking. So, but, you know, I, I want to try to go into some more specifics in terms of like your, I mean, your job before was already pretty intense and, and it was, there was so much going into it, but it has definitely kicked up to a new level now. What are the things that you're having to do now on a daily basis that you may not have had to do before? Yeah, so we've stood up teams of folks that are um, that are engaging directly with communities all over the country um, in a really systematic way to identify what the risks are to the folks in those communities experiencing homelessness, and then figure out how to overcome those barriers. So, for instance, like shelters are closing down, like 500 bed shelters. So we have somebody working directly with the community in which that shelter is closed down. And then a whole team of folks behind the scenes that are working to figure out any other solution that we can, like, who can we call? Like, how can we find alternative bed spaces? So one of the things that's happened that is such a cool program um, is out in LA County. They've started this project called Project Room Key where they are trying to move people experiencing homelessness um, who need to be socially distanced um, into hotel rooms for a set period of time. And, you know, that then affords us the ability to rehouse folks out of the hotel rooms. And it's just, you know, it's opportunities like that that we didn't have before. So here we are in this moment, nobody's traveling, nobody's using hotel rooms. And so we can have these really cool relationships like that. Um, that just, you know, weren't possible before. Yeah, I, I've heard about that program. Is is any is there anything like that happening here in New York? So in New York, they are definitely housing people in hotel rooms. Um, I think the way they went about funding it is different than than the setup out in LA, but they're also doing it here. Yeah. I'm, I'm really happy to hear about that. What do you think is going to be, um, what, based off of what you're seeing now, what do you think once this is has sort of, gotten under control a bit. What do you think will carry into your day-to-day that you're doing now that you weren't doing before? Yeah, I think the the ramped up urgency of this moment, I think we are all really interested in keeping that sense of urgency. And this is the thing about homelessness. Like when you think about homelessness, like you know, most people who don't work in the field, they think like, oh yeah, it makes me feel really bad when I see somebody in the subway station or, you know, I see somebody who clearly doesn't have anywhere to go. But we've, we as a society have lost the urgency that we should have about homelessness. Like it is unacceptable for people to be living on the streets. It's unacceptable for people to be in shelters. Like we need to have housing, that people can afford to live in. We need to have solid mental health to help people. And we want to carry this urgency past this moment so that we, we first of all, use it to rehouse as many people as possible, but also kickstart some of the things that our country has needed to be working on, which is more housing that people can afford 
and making sure that folks are supported in that housing. You know, we all have, we all have mental health needs. We all have physical health needs. And when you can't get those, you just, you know, and they're of a, of a certain severity and you're in poverty, like those things come together and there's just this hole in our social safety net that people fall through. So we are all looking to carry this urgency into the next moment. Yeah, I love that. I think that's so important. You know, I, I uh, one of our other guests, uh, Frankie, is dealing with people who are struggling with mental health issues. And we kind of had a conversation about how important it's going to be to have voices like theirs and voices like yours once this is over to sort of keep pushing the agenda of dealing with the overhaul that needs to happen that it has, you know, people have turned a blind eye to until now. That's right. Like this after this is over, we like it's it's almost as if so much that was uncovered, which was already there, has now come out in a very visible way, and we just can't ignore it now. That's right. Right, and so we need we're going to need voices like yours, voices like uh, Frankie's, to make sure that people are kept honest and like look at what happened, like remembering reminding people what happened and how this all came to being and how this all came to light. But again, it was always there, right? That's right. And I think the the other thing I I offer to folks is, you know, I think sometimes the work of the federal government or the state government it feels really intangible. Like, okay, there are these people; they go to work, they do some things. But you know, these budgets that our elected officials put in place they drive everything. So if you want to know what our country's priorities are, look at where we spend our money. Wow. I mean, the programs I, that I work to administer are a little over $2 billion. We have had models for years that tell us what it's going to take to end homelessness, and $2 billion doesn't come close to touching it. Now, we got more than that in the stimulus, but... It's a, you know, there's been an unwillingness uh, at the federal level to spend in the way that we need to spend to be able to actually end this problem. And I think that disconnect is like, it's hard to think like, oh, well, this is my representative. This is my senator. Like, this is my president. Like, this is the thing that they're talking about on TV or that they send me in the mail. But when it comes down to it, the things that they fund are our country's priorities. Right, right. I mean, so that leads to, I guess, the next sort of question of like, what can people do? Like, what can we do? I mean, obviously we have to vote correctly. We have to think about the policies that our, you know, our officials are bringing to the forefront, but what can we do, you know? And that's going to be like a multi-layer question in that, let's say now, what as a person, as somebody who votes, what should I be looking for in terms of, making sure these things are brought to the forefront? What can I do as an individual? I would say like as an individual, there are always sort of like individual interpersonal level solutions that you can seek. Like if you want to volunteer, if you want to donate, like you can always do those things, but we're talking systemic problems here. And I think for that, it's exactly what you're talking about, Phil. It takes, uh, it takes voting the right way and it takes also pushing those elected officials in the right direction. And so those things are having a housing platform. If we do not have housing that people can afford, we have homelessness. Right. So you've got to look 
for elected officials' housing platforms. Um, and I think the other is a really explicit commitment to racial equity, because in this country, class and race cannot be disentangled. And if folks are not thinking about who has been seriously impacted over centuries, um, but certainly over the last, since slavery ended uh, in this country, um, if you're not thinking about the, the systematic barriers that have been put in place ever since that period of time for our black community members to thrive, to survive, let alone thrive, then you've missed a key piece in our history and a key piece in what has been keeping people poor and, and disadvantaged for a long time. Abby, I could not have said it better. <laughs> I mean, you really, I could not have said it better. Uh, you know, just thinking back again to, you know, having the conversation with Frankie and the whole idea that right now there's so many people, many black and brown people who are mm -hmm. going to work. They're not at home, working from home. They're going to work. They're essential workers. The MTA has shifted their schedule. So now people are packed on trains and buses, which is not social distancing, of course, right? And it's, it, it is a impacting a specific community. That's right. Really directly impacting the specific community, right? So that's, these people are more now in a, a situation where they're, safe, they're, they're less safe and more, you know, more chances of getting the virus. That's right. I mean, my, my partner uh, is Venezuelan and uh, is out um, working um, during the day and has noticed on the trains exactly what you said, all yeah. black and brown people. Yep. And that right there tells you, that tells you everything. And we're already starting to see the data come out of some other cities um, that show the disproportionate impact. But I think that, you know, looking around on the subway is the human, the human part of that, of the numbers. It, you know, I haven't, I don't know what's going to happen once this is all over, but there's no real way to act as if we can't, like, uh, we, there's no real way to act as if this didn't happen, as if these people aren't being impacted. This is, it's so glaringly, you know, obvious, right? Yes. And I have no idea what, what the, you know, we don't know what the, we know what the repercussions are probably going to be, but we just, we don't know what's going to come from it. But I just feel like it's really important to continue to have voices like yourself that will keep bringing this to the forefront because I feel like it's, it, it's very easy. It'll be easily forgotten at some point when everyone's gone back to like, you know, being able to have dinner with friends and like mm -hmm. hitting, you know, going up to a bar and having a drink like this, we have to remember this happened and we have to remember that it really did impact some people more than others. That's right. That's right. And I think there'll be a lot of people who have vested interest in us not remembering that. Oh. And it's our job to keep it at the forefront. I could not agree with you more. I could not agree with you more. And, you know, and you mentioned your partner who's out now and, and they're doing testing. Is that right? They're, they're out That's like right. doing testing, which is incredible. They, they could have had, you know, they could have decided they wanted to stay home and, and not get involved, but they have, you know, taken it on to go out and, you know, commute. Like, it sounds like a very lengthy commute to go out and do testing, like really show up. That's right. Yeah, about four hours a day, uh, they're on the train. Um, but, you know, it, I see their story is a really common one, which is the people who've been the most impacted in this country are also the ones who are most likely 
to then help um, in moments when others are impacted because you don't forget what it feels like to be hungry, to be an immigrant, to not have your paperwork, uh, not be able to get a job. Like those, those moments are imprinted. And it's so true. So you gotta, you gotta hold that and, and help the folks that you know are in that situation now, even if you aren't. Yeah, there, there's this, um, I, I once heard of, I don't know if it was something I heard on the internet or read in a book that it talks about look for the helpers. Like in every situation, there are people who show up and they're helpers. Like mm. they just, it's just a part of who they are. I have to say, knowing you and your partner, you guys are always the helpers, you know, in, in many situations. And I'm so beyond grateful for both of you guys and what you're doing, like what you're doing for homeless and what your partner is doing, going out and testing. When again, they could decide not to leave their apartment, but they're showing up and it's incredible. I, I cannot thank you enough for all you're trying to do. Thank you, Phil. Um, it, it's good to be seen. And also, I, obviously, uh, there are a lot of helpers in this city right now. Um, I mean, the like the seven o'clock throwing the windows open and banging on pots for the healthcare workers. Yeah. I am thinking about all of the people just I know in my little circle of the world who are out there like busting it every day. And it's it's bleak and it's exhausting to be working in the hospitals right now. Um, we just and we owe them our lives. Yeah, they are in the front lines right now. They really are. And we are so grateful for them. We are grateful for them. And I am grateful for you again and your partner. And I really want to thank you for being on today. Uh, you're doing incredible work and please continue doing what you're doing. You're amazing. Thank you, Phil. My pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Transition of Style. If you like what you hear, please remember to subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us on our show page at transitionofstyle.com for more information and follow us to share in the conversation on Instagram at transitionofstyle. 